section seventeen of beacon lights of history volume one the old pagan civilizations this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. recording by k hand beacon lights of history volume one the old pagan civilizations by john lord literary genius part two in didactic poetry lucretius was preeminent and is regarded by schlegel as the first of roman poets in native genius he was born ninety five b c and died at the age of forty two by his own hand his principal poem de rerum natura is a delineation of the epicurean philosophy and treats of all the great subjects of thought with which his age was conversant somewhat resembling pope's essay on man in style and subject it is immeasurably superior in political genius it is a lengthened disquisition in seven thousand four hundred lines upon the great phenomena of the outward world as a painter and worshipper of nature lucretius was superior to all the poets of antiquity his skill in presenting abstruse speculations is marvellous and his outbursts of poetic genius are matchless in power and beauty into all subjects he casts a fearless eye and writes with sustained enthusiasm but he was not fully appreciated by his countrymen although no other poet has so fully brought out the power of the latin language professor ramsay while alluding to the melancholy tenderness of tibullus the exquisite ingenuity of ovid the inimitable felicity and taste of horace the gentleness and splendor of virgil and the vehement declamation of juvenal thinks that had the verse of lucretius perished we should never have known that latin could give utterance to the grandest conceptions with all that self-sustained majesty and harmonious swell in which the grecian muse rolls forth her loftiest outpourings the eulogium of the ovid is carmina sublimis tunc sunt peritura lucriti exitio terras cum dabit una dies elegiac poetry has an honorable place in roman literature to this school belongs ovid born forty three b c died eighteen a d whose tristia a doleful description of the evils of exile were much admired by the romans his most famous work was metamorphoses mythologic legends involving transformations a most poetical and imaginative production he with that self-conscious genius common to poets declares that his poem would be proof against sword fire thunder and time a prediction says bayle which has not yet proved false niebuhr thinks that ovid next to catullus was the most poetical of his countrymen milton thinks he might have surpassed virgil had he attempted epic poetry he was nearest to the romantic school of all the classical authors and chaucer ariosto and spencer owe to him great obligations like pope his verses flowed spontaneously his tristia were more highly praised than his amores or his metamorphoses a fact which shows that contemporaries are not always the best judges of real merit his poems great as was their genius are deficient in the severe taste which marked the greeks and are immoral in their tendency he had great advantages but was banished by augustus for his description of licentious love nor did he support exile with dignity he languished like cicero when doomed to a similar fate and died of a broken heart but few intellectual men have ever been able to live at a distance from the scene of their glories and without the stimulus of high society chrysostom is one of the few exceptions 
ovid as an immoral writer was justly punished tibullus also a famous elegiac poet was born the same year as ovid and was the friend of the poet horace he lived in retirement and was both gentle and amiable at his beautiful country seat he soothed his soul with the charms of literature and the simple pleasures of the country niebuhr pronounces the elegies of tibullus to be doleful but merivale thinks that the tone of tender melancholy in which he sung his unprosperous loves had a deeper and purer source than the caprices of three inconstant paramours his spirit is eminently religious though it bids him fold his hands in resignation rather than open them in hope he alone of all the great poets of his day remained undazzled by the glitter of the Caesarian usurpation and pined away in unveiling despondency while beholding the subjugation of his country propertius the contemporary of tibullus born fifty one b c was on the contrary the most eager of all the flatterers of augustus a man of wit and pleasure whose object of idolatry was cynthia a poetess and a courtesan he was an imitator of the greeks but had a great contemporary fame he showed much warmth of passion but never soared into the sublime heights of poetry like his rival such were among the great elegiac poets of rome who were generally devoted to the delineation of the passion of love the older english poets resembled them in this respect but none of them have risen to such lofty heights as the later ones for instance wordsworth and tennyson it is in lyric poetry that the moderns have chiefly excelled the ancients in variety in elevation of sentiment and in imagination the grandeur and originality of the ancients were displayed rather in epic and dramatic poetry in satire the romans transcended both the greeks and the moderns satire arose with lucilius 148 b c in the time of marius an age when freedom of speech was tolerated horace was the first to gain immortality in this department next perseus comes born 34 a d the friend of lucian and seneca in the time of nero who painted the vices of his age as it was passing to that degradation which marked the reign of domitian when juvenal appeared the latter disdaining fear boldly set forth the abominations of the times and struck without distinction all who departed from duty and conscience there is nothing in any language which equals the fire the intensity and the bitterness of juvenal not even the invectives of swift and pope but he flourished during the decline of literature and had neither the taste nor the elegance of the augustan writers he was born sixty a d the son of a freedman and was the contemporary of marshall he was banished by domitian on account of a lampoon against a favorite dancer but under the reign of nerva he returned to rome and the imperial tyranny was the subject of his bitterest denunciation next to the degradation of public morals his great rival in satire was horace who laughed at follies but juvenal more austere exaggerated and denounced them his sarcasms on women have never been equaled in severity and we cannot but hope that they were unjust from an historical point of view as a delineation of the manners of his age his satires are priceless even like the epigrams of marshall this uncompromising poet not pliant and easy like horace animadverted like an incorruptible censor on the vices which were undermining the moral health and preparing the way for violence on the hypocrisy of philosophers and the cruelty of tyrants on the frivolity of women and the debauchery of men he discoursed on the vanity of human wishes with the moral wisdom of dr johnson and urged self-improvement like socrates and epictetus i might speak of other celebrated poets of lucan of marshall of petronius but i only wish to show that the great poets of antiquity both greek and roman have never been surpassed in genius in taste and in art 
and that few were ever more honored in their lifetime by appreciating admirers showing the advanced state of civilization which was reached in those classic countries in everything pertaining to the realm of thought and art the genius of the ancients was displayed in prose composition as well as in poetry although perfection was not so soon attained the poets were the great creators of the languages of antiquity it was not until they had produced their immortal works that the languages were sufficiently softened and refined to admit of great beauty in prose but prose requires art as well as poetry there is an artistic rhythm in the writings of the classical authors like those of cicero herodotus and thucydides as marked as in the beautiful measure of homer and virgil plato did not write poetry but his prose is as musical as apollo's lyre burke and macaulay are as great artists in style as tennyson himself and it is seldom that men either in ancient or modern times have been distinguished for both kinds of composition although voltaire schiller milton swift and scott are among the exceptions cicero the greatest prose writer of antiquity produced in poetry only a single inferior work which was laughed at by his contemporaries bacon with all his affluence of thought vigor of imagination and command of language could not write poetry any easier than pope could write prose although it is asserted by some modern writers of no great reputation that bacon wrote shakespeare's plays all sorts of prose compositions were carried to perfection both by greeks and romans in history in criticism in philosophy in oratory in epistles the earliest great prose writer among the greeks was herodotus 484 bc from which we may infer that history was the first form of prose composition to attain development but herodotus was not born until aeschylus had gained a prize for tragedy nor for more than two hundred years after simonides the lyric poet nourished and probably five or six hundred years after homer sang his immortal epics yet though two thousand years and more have passed since he wrote the style of this great father of history is admired by every critic while his history as a work of art is still a sturdy and a marvel it is difficult to understand why no work in prose anterior to herodotus is worthy of note since the greeks had attained a high civilization two hundred years before he appeared and the language had reached a high point of development under homer for more than five hundred years the history of herodotus was probably written in the decline of life when his mind was enriched with great attainments in all the varied learning of his age and when he had conversed with most of the celebrated men of the various countries he had visited it pertains chiefly to the wars of the greeks with the persians but in his frequent episodes which do not impair the unity of the work he is led to speak of the manners and customs of the oriental nations it was once the fashion to speak of herodotus as a credulous man who embodied the most improbable though interesting stories but now it is believed that no historian was ever more profound conscientious and careful and all modern investigations confirm his sagacity and impartiality he was one of the most accomplished men of antiquity or of any age an enlightened and curious traveller a profound thinker a man of universal knowledge familiar with the whole range of literature art and science in his day acquainted with all the great men of greece and at the court of the asiatic princes the friend of sophocles of pericles of thucydides of apasia of socrates of damon of zeno of phidias of protagoras of euripides of polynotus of anaxagoras of xenophon of alcibiades of lysias of aristophanes the most brilliant constellation of men of genius who were ever found together within the walls of a grecian city respected and admired by these great lights all of whom were inferior to him in knowledge 
thus he was fitted for his task by travel by study and by intercourse with the great to say nothing of his original genius the greatest prose work which had yet appeared in greece was produced by herodotus a prose epic severe in taste perfect in unity rich in moral wisdom charming in style religious in spirit grand in subject without a coarse passage simple unaffected and beautiful like the narratives of the bible amusing yet instructive easy to understand yet extending to the utmost boundaries of human research a model for all subsequent historians so highly was this historic composition valued by the athenians when their city was at the height of its splendor that they decreed to its author ten talents about twelve thousand dollars for reciting it he even went from city to city a sort of prose rhapsodist or like a modern lecturer reciting his history an honored and extraordinary man a sort of humboldt having mastered everything and he wrote not for fame but to communicate the results of inquiries made to satisfy his craving for knowledge which he obtained by personal investigation at dodona at delphi at samos at athens at corinth at thebes at tyre he even traveled into egypt scythia asia minor palestine babylonia italy and to the islands of the sea his episode on egypt is worth more from a historical point of view than all things combined which have descended to us from antiquity herodotus was the first to give dignity to history nor in truthfulness candor and impartiality has he ever been surpassed his very simplicity of style is a proof of his transcendent art even as it is the evidence of his severity of taste the translation of this great history by rawlinson with notes is invaluable to thucydides as a historian the modern world also assigns a proud preeminence he was born 471 bc and lived 20 years in exile on account of a military failure he treated only of a short period during the peloponnesian war but the various facts connected with that great event could be known only by the most minute and careful inquiries he devoted twenty-seven years to the composition of his narrative and weighed his evidence with the most scrupulous care his style has not the fascination of herodotus but it is more concise in a single volume thucydides relates what could scarcely be compressed into eight volumes of a modern history as a work of art of its kind it is unrivalled in his description of the plague of athens this writer is as minute as he is simple he abounds with rich moral reflections and has a keen perception of human character his pictures are striking and tragic he is vigorous and intense and every word he uses has a meaning but some of his sentences are not always easily understood one of the greatest tributes which can be paid to him is the estimate of an able critic george long that we have a more exact history of a protracted and eventful period by thucydides than we have of any period in modern history equally extended and eventful and all this is compressed into a volume xenophon is the last of the trio of the greek historians whose writings are classic and inimitable he was born probably about 444 bc he is characterized by great simplicity and absence of affectation his anabasis in which he describes the expedition of the younger cyrus and the retreat of the ten thousand greeks is his most famous book but his cryopedia in which the history of cyrus is the subject although still used as a classic in colleges for the beauty of its style has no value as a history since the author merely adopted the current stories of his hero without sufficient investigation xenophon wrote a variety of treatises and dialogues but his memorabilia of socrates is the most valuable all antiquity and all modern writers unite in ascribing to xenophon great merit as a writer and great moral elevation as a man
if we pass from the greek to the latin historians to those who were as famous as the greek and whose merit has scarcely been transcended in our modern times if indeed it has been equalled the great names of sallust of caesar of livy of tacitus rise up before us together with a host of other names we have not room or disposition to present since we only aim to show that the ancients were at least our equals in this great department of prose composition the first great masters of the greek language and prose were the historians so far as we can judge by the writings that have descended to us although it is probable that the orators may have shaped the language before then and given it flexibility and refinement the first great prose writers of rome were the orators nor was the latin language fully developed and polished until cicero appeared but we do not here write a history of the language we speak only of those who wrote immortal works in the various departments of learning as herodotus did not arise until the greek language had been already formed by the poets so no great prose writer appeared among the romans for a considerable time after plautus terence ennius and lucretius flourished the first great historian was sallust the contemporary of cicero born eighty six b c the year that marius died q fabius pictor m portius cato and l calapiso had already written works which are mentioned with respect by latin authors but they were mere analysts or antiquarians like the chroniclers of the middle ages and had no claim as artists sallust made thucydides his model but fell below him in genius and elevated sentiment he was born a plebeian and rose to distinction by his talents but was ejected from the senate for his profligacy afterward he made a great fortune as praetor and governor of numidia and lived in magnificence on the crinial one of the most profligate of the literary men of antiquity we possess but a small portion of his works but the fragments which have come down to us show peculiar merit he sought to penetrate the human heart and to reveal the secret motives which actuate the conduct of men the style of sallust is brilliant but his art is always apparent he is clear and lively but rhetorical like voltaire who inaugurated modern history sallust thought more of style than of accuracy as to facts he was a party man and never soared beyond his party he aped the moralist but exalted egoism and love of pleasure into proper springs of action and honored talent disconnected with virtue like carlyle sallust exalted strong men and because they were strong he was not comprehensive like cicero or philosophical like thucydides although he affected philosophy as he did morality he was the first who deviated from the strict narratives of events and also introduced much rhetorical declamation which he puts into the mouths of his heroes he wrote for eclat julius caesar born 100 or 102 bc as an historian ranks higher than sallust and no roman ever wrote purer latin yet his historical works however great their merit but feebly represent the transcendent genius of the most august name of antiquity he was mathematician architect poet philologist orator jurist general statesman and imperator in eloquence he was second only to cicero the great value of caesar's history is in the sketches of the productions the manners the customs and the political conditions of gaul britain and germany his observations on military science on the operation of sieges and the construction of bridges and military engines are valuable but the description of his military career is only a studied apology for his crimes even as the bulletins of napoleon were set forth to show his victories in the most favorable light caesar's fame rests on his victories and successes as a statesman rather than on his merits as a historian 
even as louis napoleon will live in history for his deeds rather than as the apologist of his great usurping prototype caesar's commentaries resemble the history of herodotus more than any other latin production at least in style they are simple and unaffected precise and elegant plain and without pretension the augustan age which followed though it produced a constellation of poets who shed glory upon the throne before which they prostrated themselves in abject homage like the courtiers of louis the fourteenth was still unfavorable to prose composition to history as well as eloquence of the historians of that age livy born fifty nine b c is the only one whose writings are known to us in the shape of some fragments of his history he was a man of distinction at court and had a great literary reputation so great that a spaniard traveled from cadiz on purpose to see him most of the great historians of the world have occupied places of honor and rank which were given to them not as prizes for literary success but for the experience knowledge and culture which the high social position and ample means secure herodotus lived in courts the eucydides was a great general as was xenophon caesar was the first man of his times sallust was praetor and governor livy was tutor to claudius tacitus was praetor and council eusebius was bishop and favorite of constantine ammonius was the friend of the emperor julian gregory of tours was one of the leading prelates of the west foissart attended in person as a man of rank the military expeditions of his day clarendon was lord chancellor burnet was a bishop and favorite of william the third thiers and guzois both were the prime ministers while gibbon hume robertson macaulay grote milman froude neander niebuhr muller dolman buckle prescott irving bancroft motley have all been men of wealth or position nor do i remember a single illustrious historian who has been poor and neglected the ancients regarded livy as the greatest of historians an opinion not endorsed by modern critics on account of his inaccuracies but his narrative is always interesting and his language pure he did not sift evidence like grote or generalize like gibbon but like voltaire and macaulay he was an artist in style and possessed undoubted genius his annals are comprised in one hundred and forty-two books extending from the foundation of the city to the death of drusius nine b c of which only thirty-five have come down to us an impressive commentary on the vandalism of the middle ages and the ignorance of the monks who could not preserve so great a treasure his story follows in a calm clear sparkling current with every charm which simplicity and ease can give he delineates character with great clearness and power his speeches are noble rhetorical compositions his sentences are rhythmical cadences livy was not a critical historian like herodotus for he took his materials second-hand and was ignorant of geography nor did he write with the exalted ideal of thucydides but as a painter of beautiful forms which only a rich imagination could conjure he was unrivalled in the history of literature moreover he was honest and sound in heart and was just and impartial in reference to those facts with which he was conversant in the estimation of modern critics the highest rank as a historian is assigned to tacitus and it would indeed be difficult to find his superior in any age or country he was born fifty seven a d about forty three years after the death of augustus he belonged to the equestrian rank and was a man of consular dignity he had every facility for literary labors that leisure wealth friends and social position could give and lived under a reign when truth might be told the extant works of this great writer are the life of agricola his father-in-law and his annales which begin with the death of augustus fourteen a d 
and closed with the death of nero 68 a.d the historiae which comprised the period from the second consulate of galba 68 a.d to the death of domitian and a treatise on the germans his histories describe rome in the fullness of imperial glory when the will of one man was the supreme law of the empire he also wrote of events that occurred when liberty had fled and the yoke of despotism was nearly insupportable he describes a period of great moral degradation nor does he hesitate to lift the veil of hypocrisy in which his generation had wrapped itself he fearlessly exposes the cruelties and iniquities of the early emperors and writes with judicial impartiality respecting all the great characters he describes no ancient writer shows great moral dignity and integrity of purpose than tacitus in point of artistic unity he is superior to livy and equal to thucydides whom he resembles in conciseness of style his distinguishing excellence as a historian is his sagacity and impartiality nothing escapes his penetrating eye and he inflicts merited chastisement on the tyrants who reveled in the prostrated liberties of his country while he immortalizes those few who are faithful to duty and conscience in a degenerate age but the writings of tacitus were not so popular as those of livy since neither princes nor people relished his intellectual independence and moral elevation he does not satisfy dr arnold who thinks he ought to have been better versed in the history of the jews and who dislikes his speeches because they were fictitious neither the latin nor greek historians are admired by those dry critics who seek to give rare antiquarian matter a disproportionate importance and to make this matter as fixed and certain as the truths of natural science history can never be other than an approximation to the truth even when it relates to the events and characters of its own age history does not give positive indisputable knowledge we know that caesar was ambitious but we do not know whether he was more or less so than pompey nor do we know how far he was justified in his usurpation a great history must have other merits besides accuracy antiquarian research and the presentation of authorities and notes it must be a work of art and art has reference to style and language to grouping of details and richness of illustration to eloquence and poetry and beauty a dry history however learned will never be read it will only be consulted like a law book or mosheim's commentaries we require life in history and it is for their vividness that the writings of livy and tacitus will be perpetuated voltaire and schiller have no great merit as historians in a technical sense but the life of charles the twelfth and the thirty years war are still classics neander has written one of the most searching and recondite histories of modern times but it is too dry too deficient in art to be cherished and may pass away like the voluminous writings of varro the most learned of the romans it is the art which is immortal in a book not the knowledge nor even the thoughts what keeps alive the provincial letters of pascal it is the style the irony the elegance that characterize them the exquisite delineation of character the moral wisdom the purity and force of language the artistic arrangement and the lively and interesting narrative appealing to all minds like the arabian nights or froissart's chronicles are the elements which give immortality to the classic authors we will not let them perish because they amuse interest and inspire us a remarkable example is that of plutarch who although born a greek and writing in the greek language was a contemporary of tacitus lived long in rome and was one of the immortals of the imperial age a teacher of philosophy during his early manhood he spent his last years as an archon and priest of apollo in his native town his most famous work is his parallel lives of forty-six historic greek and romans 
arranged in pairs depicted with marvelous art and all the fascination of anecdote and social wit while presenting such clear conceptions of characters and careers and the whole so restrained within the bounds of good taste and harmonious proportion as to have been even to this day regarded as forming a model for the ideal biography but it is taking a narrow view of history to make all writers after the same pattern even as it would be bigoted to make all christians belong to the same sect some will be remarkable for style others for learning and others again for moral and philosophical wisdom some will be minute and others generalizing some will dig out a multiplicity of facts without apparent object and others induce from those facts some will make essays and others chronicles we have need of all styles and all kinds of excellence a great and original thinker may not have the time or opportunity or taste for a minute and searching criticism of original authorities but he may be able to generalize previously established facts so as to draw most valuable moral instruction from them for the benefit of his readers history is a boundless field of inquiry no man can master it all in its departments and periods it will not do to lay great emphasis on minute details and neglect the art of generalization if an historian attempts to embody too much learning he is likely to be deficient in originality if he would say everything he is apt to be dry if he elaborates too much he loses animation moreover different classes of readers require different kinds and styles of histories there must be histories for students histories for old men histories for young men histories to amuse and histories to instruct if all men were to write history according to dr arnold's views we should have histories of interest only to classical scholars the ancient historians never quoted their sources of knowledge but were valued for their richness of thoughts and artistic beauty of style the ages in which they flourished attached no value to pedantic displays of learning paraded in footnotes thus the great historians whom i have mentioned both greek and latin have few equals and no superiors in our times in those things that are most to be admired they were not pedants but men of immense genius and genuine learning who blended the profoundest principles of moral wisdom with the most fascinating narrative men universally popular among learned and unlearned great artists in style and masters of the language in which they wrote rome can boast of no greater historian after tacitus who should have belonged to the ciceronian epoch suetonius born about the year seventy a d shortly after nero's death was rather a biographer than an historian nor as a biographer does he take a high rank his lives of the caesars like diogenes laertius's lives of the philosophers are rather anecdotal than historical l aeneas florus who flourished during the reign of trajan has left a series of sketches of the different wars from the days of romulus to those of augustus frontinus epitomized the large histories of pompeius and aeneas marcellinus wrote a history from nerva to valens and is often quoted by gibbon but none wrote who should be adduced as examples of the triumph of genius except sallust caesar livy plutarch and tacitus end of section 17